As we sit in quarantine, I've started listening to a lot more podcasts than I used to. And one of the ones that I've been enjoying quite a bit is The Darkest Timeline, which features Joel McHale and Ken Jeong from the show Community. Well, I mean, they're from a lot of things. I like the most from Community. And one of the episodes featured Allison Brie, who was also on Community. And they got to talking about their histories and their past. And she makes an offhand joke about being in a movie where she has a demon baby and murders someone with her vagina. And that it was a horror movie. I, a person who co-hosts a horror podcast, had the brilliant idea of saying, why don't we do an episode on this? We're looking for a bonus episode to follow a few of the other things you're doing. And this seemed like as good an idea as any. I was wrong. Welcome to the Scary Stuff Podcast. Today we're talking about Born. So welcome back to another episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is a bonus episode. So we're only covering one film today, and as we talked about in the introduction, that film is the cinema classic Born. With me today are Eric. How'd you like your cookie, Jake? <laughs> and Nick. I hate you so much. <laughs> so I can't get this time back. <laughs> opinions were mixed on Born. <laughs> So this is the Jacob Gets a Cookie episode. Uh, this is part of a series of bonus episodes I'm hoping we can keep doing called Jakey Snacks, um, <laughs> where previously in our last main episode, we did Stuart Gordon, which we talked about, you know, he's kind of, Jake hadn't seen any of his movies, and he's kind of a significant director in the horror oeuvre. So I think anytime we fill in a significant block in Jake's horror catalog, Jake gets a Jakey Snack, and <laughs> we can do a one-off. On on a movie that he picks. Oh, kill Unfortunately, me. I kind of forced Jake's <laughs> hand on this one, where Jake made an offhand comment, like you mentioned, about how we heard about this movie on the Community Podcast and said, we should do Bourne. It was like, well, that's going to be the first Jakey snack now, isn't it? <laughs> so there's another podcast I listen to called The Rights to Ricky Sanchez. And on that, they're friends with a bunch of people. And one of them did a song called You Don't Fuck With Me and I Don't Fuck With You. It's a <laughs> you know joke song about certain kind of philadelphia native and when i was watching this entire movie after having sat through so many Stuart gordon films that i i would say didn't enjoy i was glad to watch this movie but that song was running through my head the entire time because nick would occasionally <laughs> comment while he was watching the movie like things like how does this movie have another hour to go and in my head <laughs> i would hear you don't fuck with me and I won't fuck with you. <laughs> but truthfully, going into this, we had never heard of this film, despite a few pretty good actors and actresses in it. And the only connection we had to it is she happened to mention this, Alison Brie mentioned this on the Darkest Timeline podcast. I am a huge, enormous, obsessive community fan. I follow three separate community fan groups on Instagram about community, and I still have watched the show all the way through probably 12 times by now. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. You know, yeah. I, I can I can identify the episode from the first three seconds of the pre-credits bumper. You know, I'm, I'm that kind of fan. So having, and I've liked everything I've seen Alison Brie in. I really enjoyed Mad Men. I like Glow. Glow. I haven't watched some of her other movies, 
recently is the mental health one looked very interesting. I just haven't sat down and watched uh, it. Yet. Horse Girl? Yeah, Horse Girl. Yeah, and I haven't seen it yet either. I want to. I, well, I've never watched Bojack Horseman. Nick is a big fan of that. And I love Bojack. Okay, for anyone at home listening, if you take my advice and watch Bojack, it is worth noting you have to get past the first half of the first season. It is a bit of a slog, but if you can get through the whole first season, it is some genius and everything after it's perfection. It Which is, is kind of how people of learn a... to drink beer. Nobody likes beer at the <laughs> beginning, but you keep pounding it until you finally just go, yes, I'm addicted now. I will continue to this this habit. Now, fair warning, it is dark as shit. Bojack can get very, very dark, but it is some brilliant writing and acting, and, and I love the crap out of it. Yeah, which contrasts to the light, fluffy fare that is born for Alex and Brie. Uh, it was her first, Ooh. it's her first movie out of college, if I recall. Certainly her first movie. Surprisingly. Her first movie, yeah. She had a handful of other TV roles. She was on an episode of Hannah Montana, mm-hmm. an episode of Not Another High School Show, and then this was her first And show. surprisingly, not her last. Um, <laughs> yeah, very surprisingly. We're recording this after we recorded an episode dedicated to Doug Jones, and we watched the movie Night Angel, and if you haven't watched that episode, you should go back and watch it, unless this one is going out first, in which case, in the future, you should watch the Doug Jones episode. I let Eric make most of those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and in that movie, the best we could say is that Doug Jones was not the problem. And I would say the same thing of Alison Brie in this. Alison Brie was definitely not the problem with this movie. Yes. Uh, yeah, she was not the problem. And I agree with that. Which implies the existence of only one problem, which is incorrect, because oh, oh. <laughs> there's many, many problems. But also, I, I would suggest listening to that podcast. She's very funny, naturally, and the Darkest Timeline podcast is really, really good. It's very, it's oddly informative about the COVID stuff, because Ken Jeong is a doctor, and Joel McHale is, seems somewhat obsessed about everything, which he should be. But he does a lot of doctor interviews, so a lot of what they talk about isn't necessarily a community podcast, but it's very much a everything that's happening now podcast. And it's okay. this is their fault. You're going to blame me, <laughs> but this is their fault. Oh, no. No, no, no. I know exactly who I blame for this. And that is – so this is brought to us by Devil's Child Picture Company, which brought us this and only this movie. <laughs> it was directed by Richard Friedman. We did a few episodes of uh, Tales of the Dark Side and Friday the 13th series and written by Alex DeLerma, who did this and some shorts. Oh, no, he, Alex DeLerma has a new movie. Yeah, did this, some shorts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fear, Love, and Agoraphobia. Also has a, did a movie called Alvarez and Cruz, which he co-directed, co-wrote, and co-starred with another actor from this movie who we'll get to. Richard Friedman, like Nick mentioned, did some television work has a pretty lengthy movie background no films i've seen but a movie called scared stiff from 1987 doom asylum from 1988 death mask from 1992 and a movie from 2003 called dark wolf which has a lot of overlap in cast and crew with this particular movie and spoilers for the end of this episode dark wolf was ordered today uh, on dvd spoilers so when its day arrives it, it will be here I did my best You've to only mention Wolf? stuff I cared yeah, it's about. It's a werewolf-related movie. Just even if it's just the uh, title, yeah. I have at least seen part of it. All right. I'm looking forward to doing that for our eventual werewolf episode. So like we talked in our Doug Jones Day episode, saw Night Angel in his filmography, hadn't heard of it, looked it up, and said, oh, okay, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Same thing. I had no idea Alison Brie was in a horror movie. It was like, Born? What the hell is that? Looked it up. 
and looked at the cast list and was like, you know, Denise Crosby, you know, Joan Severance. You know, oh, my gosh. And so now I got to ask Nick a question real quick. Nick, is this how you expected Kane Hodder to make his first appearance on the Scary Stuff podcast? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Kane Hodder. I feel Kane Hodder is an incredibly wonderful body actor he can emote with his body and do things without words that other actors can't do and i love and adore the man and you get none of that in this film not one (laughs) goddamn iota of it it is clear as fucking day that the director's like no no be serious hold it in just put it through the words and he's like okay and then it's like no use your goddamn talent and use your body you motherfucker no i'm sorry i was very angry i'm gonna this need film. to <laughs> i'm gonna need to get like some ringing like after you know a flashbang goes off <laughs> like when someone is too close to a grenade in a nom movie and they get up and just <laughs> i'm just gonna need to pipe that in <laughs> it's just like what happened <laughs> So this is a rage bomb exploded in my ears. Back, back in our second episode. Um, I am so sorry. <laughs> you had gotten a book about the Return of the Living Dead series, and you talked about the last two, which we had panned in our first episode, which is all about the Return of the Living Dead series, which you should know if you're listening to this. You certainly listened to that. And if you haven't, you should go back and listen to that. It's a great um, episode. And you talk- There's a connection to Return of the Living Dead in this episode. There's an actor who was in Return of the Living Dead 3. Yep. And you talk about how movies, like the ideas, something as bad as the last two Return of the Dead movies is rarely the fault of the people creating them. A lot of it has to do with studios and choices and funding and things like that. With this movie... <laughs> <laughs> Disagree entirely. <laughs> if you watch the making of which is far more entertaining overall than the movie itself, you realize that, no, this is entirely the fault of the people involved in this. <laughs> I mean... Th- this movie was made with intent, yes. There are great actors in this. There are fantastic actors in this who have done wonderful things shortly before or after this film, and they are just grounded to fucking dirt with this movie. <laughs> One of the things I think was interesting is, so we're doing this, like I mentioned, this is in response to the Stuart Gordon episode we did. So we watched five of his movies. So Jake filled in that bit of his catalog. And I haven't liked the movie we've watched for this podcast in a long time. (laughs) We'll fix that with episode seven. (laughs) Promise, promise. It'll it'll get better. It'll get better. Um, What was the last one I watched that I liked? It was The Night Eats the World. Or The Night... Yeah, the night no, 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 the world. Yeah, yeah, but you, yeah, you like you like three out of four for that episode. So yeah, it was pretty good. That was in April. Now you've disliked seven out of seven. But hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you loved our entire Mike Flanagan episode. Yes, we recorded okay. that in February. Shh, just be quiet. Just don't don't worry your little head about it. <laughs> this ends up being kind of an interesting companion piece for the Stuart Gordon episode because. What they're going for tonally in this is not that dissimilar. They're going for the sort of Sam Raimi mix of something dark and twisted within an injection of dark humor. And the screenwriter says as much. You, you kind of get that vibe from the movie. But the screenwriter says as much. He's like, yeah, I was told, you know, oh, put some dark humor into it. So it's going for that mishmash of twisted humor and horror. But what's fascinating about this is 
honest to God, in a lot of bits of this, I can't tell scene to scene what the intent was. Is, <laughs> is this the hard one or is this the dark humor one? There are bits where it's obvious, but there's a lot of this was like, I got nothing on this. <laughs> I'm glad you compared it to Stuart Gordon's films first. Because I feel intent, like if I had intent. Nick's head would have just gone up in a scanner's like explosion. And I, I wouldn't say I would say the, the Stuart Gordon films are obviously I would a bit more competent than this. But tonally and what they're trying to accomplish, like you said, is actually pretty similar. It's all that kind of schlocky, wacky, over the top horror. Problem is, is when you again, you watch the making of and they talk about it. It doesn't sound like they're talking about the movie you just watched. Nope. And I don't like constantly criticizing the movies we watch. Honest to God, I like most movies I've seen, or at least I did until I started being forced to watch movies that you guys like. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I wouldn't even say I actually hated this movie. I didn't like it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was very good, but I didn't hate it. In fact, another thing I reflected on is one of the things that Eric has said in the past is that the cardinal sin horror movie commits is indifference and this movie didn't feel indifferent to me it just felt like a lot of people kind of confusedly just pressing forward no matter what happened yeah like it felt compare, very much yeah. like there was no real direction so there's like, a community episode how i'm gonna keep referencing <laughs> community in this where ken jung's character becomes famous for a ham commercial where he says ham girl it's kind of funny in the episode, but they have some Abed, one of the characters in the show, has some footage of Ken Jeong, just very little footage. And they decide they're going to make a feature film using that footage. And they build everything around these like three pieces of footage. And they, they only have time for one take for each thing. They have to write it as they go and they kind of guess. And that's kind of what this reminded me of. They won a bet and Kane Hodder, or <laughs> one of them said, all right, look. I can't afford my poker debt, so I will give you two weeks of my time. And they were like, bet. <laughs> we can do this in two weeks. No, write something. And they were like, okay, I'll write it. Get some actors and actresses. You have some other favors. Like, obviously, Alison Brie owed this guy money. And, you know, or whoever, maybe they're big Star Trek fans. They go to a lot of conventions and had built a relationship with Tasha Yar. I don't know. I don't know how people ended up in this. But that's what it felt like. Everything was very rushed, very hurried and done on the fly with a minimal input from the director. And actually, the minimal input from the director thing kind of correlates to some quotes I found from Alison Brie. Yep. With her choices and the director just going, great, cut, got it in one. <laughs> yeah. It, like, I remember her, uh, her saying that she ended up not going to the director for any sort of direction. She went to like other movies. She had, like The Exorcist and a few other possession films and decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go over the top with it and have fun with it. So it was really just her chance to be like, I'm not going to try and do a good job. I'm going to try and do a fun job. And the guy was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and I think it suffered because of it. I found a quote from her about it. It's kind of a long quote. So the question is this is from. The Playboy South Africa site. It's the 19th question of the interview. And they say, and finally, what's the most regrettable part you've taken on? <laughs> and Alison Bree says, I mean, I hate to shit on movies and stuff I've done, but I've played the lead in a B horror movie called Born. The entertainment value is high, but people will watch it because I'm in it and say, why did you do that to me? 
I play, this character, I play this character who gets sort of, it's implied that she's raped by a demon and impregnated with this demon fetus. So it's like Rosemary's baby. But then she gets possessed by the demon fetus and murders people and eats their body parts. I was right out of college. It was my first movie and I was going to be the lead. I think I actually got a kick out of the heightened drama. The fact that I was coming out of theater school to play this part where there are actual scenes of me talking to myself and fighting myself because I'm possessed by a demon fetus. And then the, the questioner says, and all the while you're like, what's my motivation here? And Alison Bree says, no, I was like, I got this. I was super cocky. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, absolutely, that shows. So many. You know, I hadn't come up with a name yes. for this episode yet. I kind of want to call the episode, I got this. <laughs> I got this. She, <laughs> she has to do all these scenes where she, once she gets pregnant, and we'll, we'll go through the plot a little bit for the benefit of you. Some reason. For, <laughs> so you don't have to yes we watch these films so you don't have to and she has to do a lot of these golem scenes where she's essentially arguing with herself except oh. instead of arguing with herself she's arguing with the demon fetus in her womb and she she very much golems it and you can see that influence and you can see her in her eyes saying i got this and you can see the director saying i got this and then we <laughs> being the audience I can see everybody watching these say this. No, you do you not don't got this. this. No, no, no. <laughs> so what's in our case? About? I bought the DVD, so I have the DVD of this. So it's like I literally got this, and I wish I didn't. <laughs> All right, I can't unbuy this. So literally, I, I feel confirmed by your text to me when you started watching this, and by my own personal experience. I know for a fact me and Jake had the same experience. So like, we turned the movie on. And he's like, it's released in what, 2007? Yeah, I believe yeah. it was released in 2007. Now, it's worth noting that Lionsgate released this. So if yes. you put the DVD in, the first thing you see is the Lionsgate logo. Which but is it's on the DVD. <laughs> it is nowhere in the movie itself. <laughs> so we put the movie on, and we both had the same experience where Lionsgate comes up and goes, oh, it's helpful. And then these 1980s graphic is used for the word born. And we both just went... Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> the font name is Brett. The font for the opening, it's this rotating 3D. Oh. The font is Bradley. You'll know it because I'm using it in the artwork for this episode. <laughs> but initial gut response was like, oh dear God, what have I done? What have I signed on for? It is literally frame one. Oh, oh no. We try very hard to not <laughs> talk to each other about these movies before we sit down to record. And sometimes that's very hard. It's so hard. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I was good about not talking about the parts that upset me, but I, I kept giving these, like, timelines. Like, wait, how the hell is there 50 minutes left in this film? <laughs> Honest to God, that's the movie's cardinal sin, is that it's too long. It is way too long. By a lot, yeah. It gets kind of interminable at oh, points. It's endless. And it's funny enough, it's all about it at the same point, yeah. Which is funny because in the making of, you get to meet both edit like the, the online editor and the offline editor. And I don't know what the fuck they were doing, <laughs> to be honest. So the first thing we see is this rotating, you know, shit video toaster, the word born as it kind of <laughs> rotates. And then we get the first actual shot, which is the camera tracking up the leg of Joan Severance, who is playing a character by the name of Dr. Samael, and which is the second movie in a row for this podcast with a character named Samael. Yep. And also the second movie in a row where a character is named Samael that makes no sense whatsoever in anything that they do, say, or <laughs> think, feel, or happens to them in the film. It's like even less in this one. 
it's even so less. Oh my god, yeah, because she's introduced as a psychiatrist who is going to be spoken to by da, 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 Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder. I out for a second, I was like, okay, maybe we're gonna be okay. I was so lied to. And so <laughs> <laughs> he's playing a demon as Modi. I trusted you, Kane Hodder. I trusted <laughs> you. Now, who he's playing makes zero sense on any level because he's apparently like a right hand man demon of satan whose job is to be like the lead torturer now all this is is. true for a guy who has to have been dead less than a century (laughs) yes like like, there's far less far less there is no way i love me some kane hodder but the character there's no way this dipshit rose his way to the top of the abyssal you know chain of command in that amount of time it's it's, it's so it makes no sense whatsoever well and, let me and ask you there. this all right, all right I'll finish talking about the framing sequence and then we'll actually discuss why the framing sequence even exists it doesn't it shouldn't <laughs> because yeah the whole point seems to be okay so you know while the movie progresses kane hodder will occasionally jump in and talk to the psychiatrist to explain things a little bit of exposition we get kind of a behind the scenes what's going on from the demonic side of things but you know what you would think that halfway through the film when he just gives up on that and whacks her (laughs) i don't understand why did i i I don't i don't oh it hurts it hurts so bad for folks who haven't seen this to give some context on the opening nobody listening to this has seen this yeah no (laughs) And it's difficult to find. It's it's not available for streaming, so you just have to track down the DVD. Although I do believe Netflix has the DVD for rent, but the DVD is not expensive on any of the places that sell it. So Joan Severance is playing Doctor Samayo. When we first find her, she's in her office taking notes with a blinky pen for some reason, this <laughs> flickering light pen. And Kane Hodder walks in wearing sunglasses, and his first line of dialogue is, "Doctor Samayo, I'm going to tell you some really weird shit." And then, as Nick mentioned, he Kane Hodder identifies himself as I'm Asmodeus, torture of the 13th level of hell. I'm a demon. Worth noting that in some texts, Asmodeus is known as the husband of Lilith and ah. the father of demons. So nice. for the Lilith connection, check out our Doug Jones Day episode on Night Angel. So that's one of the Night Angel connections for this episode. I'll go ahead and mention the other one now, just because it's random. The director of photography on this is Stuart S. Bjornsson, who was the director of photography for Baywatch and Baywatch Nights for all of for the whole show. And our previous episode had the composer for Baywatch and Baywatch Nights. So of all the things I expected nice. to be connector, Baywatch is not the one that I was expecting. <laughs> so I, I think next year we ought to re-release our Night Angel and this episode on Mother's Day and Father's Day, since we now have the, the Lilith Asmodeus yeah. connection. Asmodeus <laughs> connection. Yeah, that's perfect. So Asmodeus, played by Kane Hodder, walks in and he hands the psychiatrist a pistol and (laughs) says, I'm going to tell you some really weird shit, but here's a gun. I'm going to start telling you shit. If you get uncomfortable at any point, just go ahead to shoot me. She goes to grab the phone and he says, don't bother. It's dead. And so primarily he cut the phone lines on his way in (laughs) for some fucking reason. And then he begins to confess to Dr. Smile and he says, Satan tricked me into selling my soul, but I got a second chance a few months ago when my mother died. Gave me a chance to escape the pit. And at this point, we transition to a funeral. So now we see family of Asmodeus, who when he was human, he was known as Mark. And this funeral is the funeral for his mother. So we're introduced to 
Asmodeus's father, who's Albert Martino, played by James T. Callahan. He's our Return of the Living Dead connection because he played Colonel Peck in Return of the Living Dead 3. It's his last film. He died from throat cancer shortly thereafter. Yeah. Smokes and during the so entire it, film. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so then there's also Catherine, who's played by Denise Crosby, also Tasha Yar, as Jake mentioned earlier. So she's the eldest daughter. And then there is the youngest daughter, Mary Elizabeth, played by Allison Brie. And they are standing next to the casket of the dead mother. And Mary Elizabeth is crying. And there are two priests there, one of which is played by Alex Delerma, the writer who plays Father Nick. The other and more significant character we meet is Father Anthony, played by Eddie Velez. So they're exchanging comments about the recently deceased mother. They mention that we're going to have to end the ceremony soon. Mary Elizabeth starts to get upset. And James C. Callahan has the line, oh, don't be upset, Mary Elizabeth. She's with your brother Mark now. And then we get a quick shot of Mark's tombstone, which simply reads, Mark, beloved brother and son. So this is Mark, who was Asmodeus in life. And the reason, you know, he was a colossal dickhole is that his tombstone is in aerial font. <laughs> so which means which means when they were showing like the projected image of what the tombstone would look like and it was they were showing the layout like, yeah yeah it looks good go with that they were like no 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 this is aerial font this is just the tent we didn't show you the actual font yet that one's fine that one's fine he was a piece of shit fuck it like, all right so, it's the first tombstone i've ever seen in aerial so kane hotter who comes off as a colossal dickbag as a demon was apparently as equally colossal a dickbag in life don't even put his fucking last name on it it's, it's, it's also worth noting that every other actor and actress in this is at least 25 years older than allison brie yeah <laughs> so yep. yeah denise crosby plays her older sister but it's a considerable margin between them yeah so mary elizabeth gets upset runs off into just runs around the cemetery and begins hearing random baby cries Wait, and this also is has, ridiculous too because she hears the baby cry and she's like if you hear a baby cry you're like oh so baby's upset but she gets this look at her face like it's in mortal peril and starts looking for the damn thing i'm like whoa slow your roll this is just a kid who's upset yeah starts hearing random baby cries flies into a panic we get our first sighting of a recurring image of evil twins uh, who are played by Julie Costello and Shawnee Costello, who the one thing I'd want to mention, they do have some acting credits, but it is worth noting that they both competed in the 2004 Raw Diva search for WWE. Ha! Julie Costello came in 10th. Her sister Shawnee came in 8th. <laughs> so... Wait, they're sisters? Yes. Yes, they're twins. They're twins. I didn't look that close, and probably because they're yeah. naked almost the entire film. Except for the yeah. first two times you see them, then afterward, yeah, yes. The first two times you see them, they're clothed, and then after yeah. that, they're naked the whole time. But way. they yep, serve so. no goddamn purpose! Yeah, no, they're they just there. nothing! They, they just, Although it's uncomfortable they in the making of scene, because they're naked in that, too. Like, they're showing the ma them making one of the scenes where they're naked in it. And it's just like, you don't usually have that in the special features. You know, some people at least have a, a throwaway line. Like, here's the throwaway line for why we can bring these two random, good-looking women in and then just objectify them. They don't even do that here. They just literally just show the hell up periodically and exist. Like, to witness? Maybe? No, I'm putting way too much faith into this. They're, 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 they serve no purpose yeah, at all. It's ridiculous. So Mary Elizabeth sees the twins. They go behind a tree and they don't come out the other side, so they vanish. She continues to follow the baby cries, and she comes across a gravestone that reads, Unknown, 
born November 1st, 2005, died November 1st, 2005. And then we get these weird video toaster lightning effects. Then we get a sequence, <laughs> which uh. is essentially it is her being impregnated by Asmodeus. But it's hard to figure out what's happening because the first this enormous storm. Well, first, kicks she up, tries like, to dig up the grave. Yeah, she tries to dig I up the grave. Understand. There's lightning effects. Like, what's what's the best going... case scenario there? You can hear a baby buried <laughs> that's dead crying. The best case scenario is Shuggeth. And any situation <laughs> where your best case scenario is Shuggeth, leave the situation. <laughs> it's a little little life tip from your Uncle Jake. Yes, parents digging it up, and she's interrupted by like the demon wind, which becomes like super hardcore, and then lifts her off the ground. Yeah, the wind lifts her up off the ground, and looks like it pulls at her limbs a bit, so her limbs extend out, and she just hovers in air. It then drops her, and then she's crawling along the ground until she's suddenly pulled into the ground, legs first, until she sinks out of sight, and then we get an image that, <laughs> for whatever fucking reason. Father Velez walks in from the right side of the frame amidst this crazy storm and is just flinging holy water. And it is so nonsensical. I started cackling the first time I saw it because I have no idea what the fuck is happening right now. I don't even know if that really happened. Not so much the the wind and the ground or whatnot. I don't know if he was actually there. (laughs) He was. Because, because, so he's there with the storm and he's flinging holy water for some fucking reason. And then a figure comes into frame to blot out the frame, which we find out is Asmodeus. And as the shot tracks up over Asmodeus's shoulder, everything is suddenly calm, but Father Velez is still there, and he's kind of looking at where he was, and he walks away. <laughs> so then... Yeah, he just um, leaves her. He shows up, does the holy yeah. water thing, everything comes down, and he walks away. And, and just nothing. leaves. All right, good Because yeah. he knows that if your best case scenario <laughs> is shuggeth, you walk away. <laughs> Sanctify it with holy water and GTFO. So she's like unconscious on the ground or something. She's woken up by Igor. Oh, I'm sorry. Ivan, the albino caretaker. He just has this kind of like creepy demeanor. He's very kind of like, hey, I'm here. I saw you down there. Yes, I'm Ivan. I'm the caretaker. You know, and then so her father comes up and goes, oh, Ivan, uh, you know, you're kind of weird and odd. Why don't you come do some day laboring for me? I'm like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) I could use the extra money. (laughs) known this guy for like 10 seconds and he's like i want you in my house i want you moving my shit around so then we get another interstitial with dr samael and asmodeus where joan severance has to say the line with a straight face you seem genuinely sorry for raping your sister oh my god asmodeus has the line where he says a lot of death and a birth had to happen so i could become human again then we cut back to the house mary elizabeth and her sister and father return home. We establish that the older sister, played by Denise Crosby, is to start verbally abusive to both her sister and her father. Yep. And we'll soon find out that carries into physical abuse as well. But she's berating the both of them. And then shortly thereafter, we're introduced to someone else who lives with them, which would be <laughs> the character of Jennifer, played by Azalea Davila. It starts with you being introduced to her job. She is a call operator for 1-900-MY-BITCH. My bitch. Where I swear to God, so it starts off with her kind of getting this spiel like, oh, I hope you could do this. All right, that's great. And then she gets into the boilerplate portion of the call where it was like, my notes here describe it as micro machines guy, the porno. 
<laughs> we are not labeled. <laughs> My only note here is who the hell is Sex Line Jen? <laughs> but I, I will. I will say the scene where you're introduced to her is actually kind of funny. Like her, it's one of the scenes where you know they are overtly going for something humorous. Yep. So it's like, all right, I know this is actually going for humor. Agreed. And God bless her, she's trying. She's really giving it an A for effort into her performance. With it. Yeah, and she, she reads the eulogy. I just thought it was kind of amusing. Then they get into the call, and the sister comes in, and she immediately was like, call me back, and hangs up on the dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, she's not. She's just a roommate. She's not even, like, family. No, but you don't really know yeah. that. Like, it, n- n- <laughs> nothing about her character makes a lick of fucking sense. Well, apparently, yeah. like, per Catherine's statement, it's like their mother let her stay there. That's yes. That's, that's the we get that later, but it's yeah, it's like this it. this random young phone sex operator is close friends and a roomie of this older woman, <laughs> like which you could make that work. They don't even try. It's not even. They don't attempt to establish that relationship at any level. Yeah, and Tashi R complains about her having guests. So I mean, yep, yep. Oh, it hurt. It hurt so much. It was jarringly confusing. Yes. With everything else you were given in this movie, it I don't want to say it made the least amount of sense, but up until this point... It was the most out of left field. It was a contender? It, it was... it Sense aside, it was definitely the most unexpected. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to Mary Elizabeth waking up the next morning where their sister, played by Denise Crosby, comes in and says, breakfast is going to be available for five minutes if you want it. And... Mary Elizabeth rolls over in bed and has the line where she says, um, oh, no, I don't want any poached eggs, wheat toast, cereal or grapefruit. (laughs) She can smell everything that's currently sitting on the kitchen table. (laughs) It is true that when women are pregnant, they do have heightened senses of smell. They don't turn into superheroes. (laughs) that happens yeah and interesting that her sense of smell stops at the kitchen table like if it's that heightened why doesn't it why doesn't it keep going no thanks sister i don't want any poached eggs wheat toast cereal or grapefruit or soap scum or cigarette butts or dog pee (laughs) (laughs) so denise crosby finds this kind of peculiar denise crosby leaves mary elizabeth rolls out of bed and takes off her top and starts checking her chest in the mirror and starts thinking that it looks like her breasts and her abdomen have swelled slightly she then goes into the bathroom to weigh herself and finds out she's put on 15 pounds overnight and at that point and has some morning sickness uh, and has some morning sickness and at this point denise crosby comes in and (laughs) realizes that apparently mary elizabeth is pregnant and we fly right into abuse mode takes her and pulls her belt off and immediately starts belting mary elizabeth and saying i want to know who you spread your legs for then carries her into the bathroom and puts her in a bathtub of boiling water and is abusing her that way. And a quick side note, all the scenes in the bathroom look like a Jean-Pierre Genet film. <laughs> they all have this sickly yellow filter over top of them. It's this jarringly different lighting where all of a sudden it looks like delicatessen or something. It's very strange. <laughs> and yeah, we get this really awful sequence of her just viciously putting her sister in boiling water in the bathtub. And Oh my God. Yeah. Um, at least they tried to explain this scene later. Sort of. They do. Yeah. And, and they do flash back to it. Yeah. It does bookend something else later I'm on. Not, I'm but not, then, which is not me know, defending the scene at all, but no. it's, it's something that they cared enough to come back to. 
Yeah. Is, makes it kind of a rarity in this film because this, this <laughs> film is not a closed loop. Yeah, no, there is some vague sense of structural intent. <laughs> but, you know, um, she's saved by Ivan and her dad who come to take Catherine off of her. And then we cut away to priest pigeon time. Yeah, why do these prisons have so many fucking pigeons? <laughs> why is there a picture of a chicken on their pigeon coop? <laughs> so you quickly establish is like, the fact. That is it the- like pigeon alchemy? They're, instead of turning stuff into gold, they're trying to turn pigeons into chicken. <laughs> Where we quickly establish the priests know what the hell is going on. They suspect Mary is the host of a demon baby that is to be born on November 1st, the Day of the Dead. And Father Five O'Clock Shadow has a gun and a Bible for some reason. Yeah, that is the dumbest yes, thing ever. Yes, he is ex-military. Oh uh, he God. was ex-black ops of some sort. And they're operating under the directions of someone known as the Cardinal, yep. who we do not see yet. Yeah, um, the baby will be born November 1st, which is the Day of the Dead, and it's the only day that death is actually celebrated, <laughs> and that demons can be reborn here on Earth. Uh, All right. <laughs> Yeah, so Antonio's been ordered to kill the baby, but like, you have to wait till it's born. You can't do it beforehand, whereas the priest Nick wants to protect her, and of course they argue about it. But the demon baby will make her kill six people. This is where I made my guess. The minute he said that, I said, <laughs> I wonder who's going to die, and I wrote it down. So my guess was the six victims were going to be the priest, Catherine, the dad, Ivan, uh, the 1-900-bitch friend, and someone else. That literally, I, yep, I, pretty I was, much. I was like, and then I, I watched the film. I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> basically, you want to really impress me? All the characters that you had met at that point, and just subtracted <laughs> one, and said the rest of these people are going to die. I was impressed with myself. If you wanted to impress me, number one should have been the trucker who hasn't even appeared in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's the holy only shit, one. Nick's a precog. I, I, I ended up categorizing him as someone else, but yes, if I had known he was a trucker. Well, there's I, two I some, yeah, there's two someone else's in this oh case. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I, what, I, what I liked best about the chicken coop scene, or I'm sorry, pigeon coop with the chicken poster, was that <laughs> the main person performing in it wrote that scene. Yes. And just thinking about that kind of made me happy a little bit because, like, it was like everybody getting punished. It's like, (laughs) you did this to yourself, buddy. This is where we come into what I think is, for me, one of the more uncomfortable moments of this film. Aside from all of it. Yeah, aside from all of it. So she's pregnant, and we learn that her dad is an obstetrician. So her father decides it would be prudent to give her basically a full physical exam in their home well it's it's because of the sister the sister didn't want to let her out because you know but she's shaming it, the family i don't give a shit it's just wrong <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that and there's, and it's not like he's some creepy guy either there's nothing to back up any sort of concept where he'd be like oh yeah this is okay yeah, but, but they just do it and i'm like oh this is there's so I can't even get into the number of levels this is not okay. <laughs> it's so upsetting. I was just like this movie is just completely failed me by this point. Hell, her sister, her sister Catherine is holding a goddamn leg up and helping out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's flipped a switch on the topic. So initially she was beating the hell out of her sister for becoming pregnant, and now she's excited at the possibility of it being a virgin birth and excited about Having a baby in the house, so she's done a 180. She's like, you know, I suspect it's divine intervention. How else do you explain the, the intact hymen? I'm like, oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we gotta discuss how Nick just said that this 
This was where he felt the movie failed him. <laughs> because we've already had the graveyard scene. The, the graveyard scene was sequence, bad. Oh, no. the, really, <laughs> every other all... scene, honestly. Everything but the sex talk funny scene failed you. <laughs> Everything else was bad. What? This was like... No one could possibly think this is okay. How could you think this was okay? How could anyone lie to themselves and say, you know what? This scene is okay. That, I'm that, fascinated that this that was, was the moment. This was the moment where Nick turned on the film. Wow. Oh my God. No, don't get me wrong. What? I was complaining from the word go, but this is the one that I felt like a physical presence like stabbed me in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'll say kind of along the same lines as Nick, this scene wasn't... <laughs> I didn't have that reaction to this scene, but I had that particular scene features James Callahan as the father who's also an obstetrician. And I had a problem every time he was on screen because he just comes across as such a genuinely nice old guy. He's trying and knowing it's also his last role that he died after making this. It was so sad yeah. every time. And he's, it was like, oh, he seems so nice. And he's in fucking born. And the last thing he was in is fucking born. And it's so tragic. So I legit was kind of uncomfortable every time I saw James Cannon. I was like, oh, you poor guy. It's like you want to go out and destroy every copy of it just for him and yourself. <laughs> I'll admit, I lost all hope for this film the moment Kane Hodder opened his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that you lasted this long really uh, is impressive. No, 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 no. Before no. you lost all hope, before no, you no, lost no. all hope, you lasted. I this knew long. it was bad. I feel like we're. No, 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 let's be clear here. Forty-five minutes into this movie, time stopped meaning anything once I started watching it. I think that's incorrect. I think I lost my hope way early, but like by this point, I was just angry. <laughs> this goes beyond <laughs> losing hope. By this point, I was mad at the film. I just wanted to do terrible things to my TV to right the wrong that was being done to me in that moment. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this because Nick, and I've mentioned this on a numerous, I probably even brought it up on the podcast, is a congratulations on the ketchup guy. <laughs> and if, As am I, usually. If you haven't yeah. listened to this, what I mean by that, it's an old Beetle Bailey strip where the cook is talking to, I forget which other character, probably Beetle, and he's saying he loves the chaplain. Because the chaplain always has something nice to say, and they go through whatever, because the food is supposed to be horrible. And then the chaplain comes up and says, congratulations on the ketchup. And <laughs> I, I have always thought of folks who, who try very hard to like things that are unlikable as congratulations on the ketchup people. I actually, I think it's more noble than me, who's just an asshole about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't always think about people's feelings when describing that. But Nick and Eric both... Nick more so, um, <laughs> try to find things to like in this. And what's what's interesting about this is because there were things I found that I liked in this film, and I'm kind of feeling like I'm the only one on the island. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Here's the problem. So, like, you're right. I am a, a good job in the ketchup kind of guy. And so there are things in films where we're like, well, this film was bad, but I liked these kind of bits, and I like these ideas. I like what they were doing here. This movie, it's like, if there's anything good in it, it was an accident. Next like, one. the parts that are I'm good a... about this film are the things they feel they screwed up. <laughs> is, this, is, is this the first total failure for you from on the podcast? I can't remember yes. if, if 4 and 5 yeah. of the Return of the Living Dead were nope. total failures for you. Oh, they were awful, but 5 at least had the hilarious duo of those two guys. I love the crap out of them. I guess the only uh, one I could think is Paranormal Activity 4. 
Oh, I hate that shit. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's yeah. probably the closest. So that yeah, we'll have to figure out at the end which one. Which I feel one like we we got to start a web where we start keeping to... track of some of this shit. I just want to get a bunch of Paranormal Activity 4s, put them in a pinata, and let people go to town on them. <laughs> Nick's sitting there going, yeah, I'm a congratulations on the ketchup guy, but I'm a Heinz ketchup guy. This movie's Del Monte ketchup. Del Monte ketchup. Can take a fine fuck. Get this fucking Hunts bottle out of here. <laughs> so dad is giving a gynecological exam to his daughter with the help of his sister who's playing the role of a syrup. And, I hate this movie. Uh, yeah. I hate this movie so much. So at this point, Allison Brie they talk a uh, lot about Mary her hymen too. Yes, they do. They do. <laughs> Look, it's still intact. You bounce a quarter uh, up that Liz- shit. Doing. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> we gotta go to the next scene. Okay, take me to the next scene, Eric. Please save me. <laughs> so Mary Elizabeth is. So Mary Elizabeth is later that night. She has taken a vehicle and she is out driving, apparently with the intent of committing suicide. And she's sitting there and she's crying and she then looks in the rearview mirror and sees the CGI baby or the CGI version of her baby, who we see several times in this movie. And the, the baby basically looks like someone tried to render the beast from Krull on an old Amiga. Yes, <laughs> that is the most accurate way to describe that. Oh, my God. See, I thought of it different. I thought of it as a five year old's drawing of the scary scene in Alien. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good, too. So she looks in the rear mirror, sees the CG baby going mama, and then she herself goes mama, and has apparently become possessed by the child. And in tandem with this, we're introduced to a random trucker who is played by Rick McCallum, who played the titular Dark Wolf in Dark Wolf. (laughs) And based on his filmography, I'm guessing he's a buddy of Kane Hodder's, because if you look at his filmography, he's got some acting work, but it's a lot of stunt coordinator work. And it's a lot of stunt work in tandem with Kane Hodder. Although there's a connection to episode three, he was a stuntman and puppeteer on Deep Star Six. So that's connection back to our third episode. This random trucker is driving, ends up in a wreck because of Mary Elizabeth, staggers out from the wreckage and you know, bleeding covered in glass. And at which point there is a stray power line, which possessed Mary Elizabeth grabs, grabs the trucker by the back of his head. And now we get the, when the demon possesses Mary Elizabeth, the recurring trend is saying, hello, blank. It always says, hello, fill in the blank of whatever descriptor it wants to use. So in this case, it's hello, stranger, which is the best <laughs> one liner they could come up with. Before we see Alice and Bray shove a goddamn power line <laughs> into a trucker's <laughs> mouth. While Kane Hodder is apparently over in his room, the camera tracks across his nightstand, which has an ashtray with two cigarettes, a syringe, and a used condom with a dead bug in it. <laughs> <laughs> if this movie has taught me and, anything, hell is a Motel 6. <laughs> staying in a Motel 6 should have taught you that. <laughs> I, and as Modi is side like, note, okay. if we're going to make fun of Hotel Sixes, I have a story about that in hell. <laughs> Just real quick, first night of my honeymoon, my wife and I took a drive across the country, and we had no destinations and nothing booked, so we ended up in Ohio, up northern Ohio near the lake. And the first place we stopped was a Motel Six because we're not fancy people. We're like, this will be cheap, and we booked this room. And we go into this place and it's kind of late in the day and the room is awful. It's it's awful. Like It smells like cigarettes. We're like, I don't know about this, but we'll just sleep here. And we come out of it and a guy on the upstairs in the balcony says, y'all be careful out there tonight. They're out there tonight. 
At which point, we go back in the hotel, get our stuff, <laughs> put it in the car, drive to the front room, and said, we've changed our mind. And she said, you are not the first. And then, <laughs> and then we drove the fuck out of there. We ended up in Oberlin and had a perfectly lovely uh, evening and ended up in uh, a nice place. But yeah, so when you go to Motel 6 with Cal, it is. I've been there. So, so... <laughs> So I, I know maybe maybe this was supposed to be him actually on Earth waiting for her to do her thing, but I really got the impression that he was waiting in hell. Hell is literally a Motel Six, and he's just chilling in his room waiting for his sister to do her thing so he can become human again and come back to Earth. And he's just like, he's I, like, I, that's it, sister. Yeah, get him. He like, he starts, said, she starts cheering. Fry him, her. sister. Fry him. Yeah, he's tied in. Although quickly on the Motel Six thing, so that basically makes Born the Happiness Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you want to do with your DVD copy of Born? What are our options? A. Watch the movie. B. Watch the special features. C. Eject it and demand a refund. We'll take C. Very, Very popular, popular choice. choice. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my note here. It says Kane Hodder cheerleading time. Oh. Highlander time! Because <laughs> she basically takes... There can be only six! There can be only six! And chops his head off. And then, so she collects the head, <laughs> she rips into his chest, pulls out his heart, and then she does this thing where it's clear as goddamn day that this thing is just a gooey facsimile of a heart. So she has to manually pump it herself with her hand to show it's still pumping from his chest. Yep. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, come, no... No, no, that's awful. <laughs> my my only note for this entire scene is that's not how electricity works. <laughs> so she bags up the head and heart. It heads home. And so then we get the, she wakes up the next morning, again, checks her chest in the mirror, and presumably sees that her, her breasts have grown again. And this time we get CG acidic breast milk that shoots oh, out and melts God. the mirror. I have a note for that. Which uh, oh, just, my God. Imagine reading the acid breast milk scene in the script. <laughs> like, imagine that moment of your life. If she's got the script and she's this far in it, she's already signed on for this film. This is her first film out of acting school. And it has to have the line, acid fires from nipple. And you just got to think she puts the thing down and, and does one of the ways she covers her face and reflects on life and choices. <laughs> and then picks it back up, takes a deep breath, cracks her neck and goes... Let's get on with it. Yeah. Presumably she was just kind of chanting to herself as a mantra. It's not me. It's your body double. It's not you. It's your body double. It's not you. It's your body double. It, and it is a body Wait, double. She it, never, is a body it is a body double. Yep. Yeah. It, it's a body it's a double. Body oh, okay. double. She, she does not do a nude scene in her career until Glow. She, it's yeah, also it the so only she, sex scene she has in movies up until something fairly recent. She, I read in an interview. She just Glow? doesn't like oh, doing okay. that, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Don't blame her. So essentially her breast shoots this like acidic spray instead of breast milk, which hits the mirror, which shatters and melts it down. And then she just goes to hang out with her friend. Which is honestly not yes. how acid works. It's not how breast milk works. It's not how mirror works. <laughs> Nothing works. None so, of this makes sense. All of it is wrong. Oh. Yeah, so she goes down to see her friend Mary, the 9100 My Bitch phone operator. And they're talking for a while until her friend comes in and it becomes quickly obvious that Mary and her friend are like, you can stay if you want, 
but we're about to get busy. <laughs> yeah, she goes to her friend and Mary Elizabeth suddenly has this intense sexual drive and she's asking if she can borrow her lover Lars, played by uh, Jorg Sertle, and wants to borrow him for the evening. To which her friend responds, Mary Elizabeth wants to borrow my fuck buddy. (laughs) Best part of this is actually, again, in the special features where they show him reading for the part and he humps the couch. (laughs) They show his audition, which features his lines, which are, Really nice place, but you should think about getting a plasma. (laughs) Going to leave my business card with my home number. I'll get you a great deal on an HDTV. (laughs) And... This man is pushing his product mere seconds before confirmed sex. That's a salesman. Lars knows ABC always be closing. (laughs) This this is another callback to Community. There's a character in Community named Subway. He's a corporal human. (laughs) And he's actually in two episodes where he has trysts with Allison, not Allison, but with um, Gillian Anderson's character, Britta. Uh, Gillian Jacobs? Yeah, Gillian, but yeah. Not Anderson, because that would be Gillian Anderson. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm confusing a lot of people. But yeah, Gillian Jacobs and her character Britta. And both times in the middle, or the second time in the middle of sex, he pushes how great Hondas are. (laughs) (laughs) And because this this movie is already tied up with community, when I saw this scene where he does the plasma thing, and I'm like, oh, man, maybe they saw this Subway. (laughs) now before mary asks her friend to borrow her fuck buddy two things do happen one the priest you you see is putting bugs in the house so the priest Mm -hmm. has documented the first kill he's bugging the house he's basically going out of his way to document the entire event and he's hanging out in a surveillance winnebago yep yeah and then another thing that happens is at one point the dog brings in a dead crow but she picks up, yes. rips the head yeah. off like it's the cap of a soda, and then starts drinking the drinking damn bird. <laughs> now, I had an extra hilarious reaction to this one. <laughs> In the Cthulhu game, which we've mentioned before, that Nick has been running for us for 15 years, we don't take everything as seriously as we should at this point no, while no. sitting around the table. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. And currently, we're in Antarctica. <laughs> And there's penguins, and somehow we got on the joke about <laughs> drinking penguins' blood, but actually opening them up and mixing, like, martinis or something in them. No, you put fruit in them so it ferments, so you make right. it, turn so, them into, so, like, yeah, we making sun wine bottles. <laughs> Peg- penguin toilet wine, and we started referring to them as <laughs> nature's Capri Sun. Nature's Capri Sun. <laughs> So imagine my delight when she drinks a bird in this movie. I'm not even kidding. I was delighted when that happened. I want it noted. I am willing to bet big money that that is the first time the phrase imagine my delight has been used in conjunction with anything from the movie Born. Oh oh my God. I, I literally, I think I squealed. When it happens, <laughs> in part because I knew I was going to get to tell the story of Penguin Capri Sun <laughs> on the podcast. So, if penguins shout, are nature, shout Capri out Sun, to Randy that... and Brian who are hopefully listening to this. Oh yeah. my god, this oh, one's on you, are... and I'm going to audibly take a drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, penguin. Mm, if good penguins are nature's Capri Suns. Does that make ravens like nature's? Little hugs or something like that. Oh, no, they're, 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 you know the little wa- the candies that are wax bottles with a little bit of juice in them? Oh, that's a raven. Okay, you yep, bite yep, them yep. off and you drink the, what used to be root beer out of it. 
<laughs> yep. Oh my god. And then you chew on the wax for ages because we all grew up in the depression and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I was delighted when that happened. But anyway, back to the actual movie. So she asked so my favorite friend. line is coming up too. She she asked her friend to borrow the fuck buddy, and of course the priest is listening the whole time, and like he's just like yelling at the speaker, going, "God damn it, keep it in your pants, man!" <laughs> yeah, she begins to uh, engage in sex with Lars under the Linda Lars program, um, where she utters the and, line, "Come on, you limp dick Nazi, fuck us, yes. oh. fuck us faster." You know, the whole time, so she's this virgin birth. And they made this huge goddamn deal about her hymen for like two minutes. And I'm just like, well, there goes that. <laughs> so like, yeah. I don't know why we made such a big deal out of it. She's like, boom, gone. <laughs> and then he unders the great it's... line, ow, something's pinching me. <laughs> yeah, she switched and she is now astride him. And all of a sudden there is blood around his abdomen. And somehow the demon baby head's pushing against the belly again, so you can yeah, see it. Yeah, pushing against the wall of her of her stomach, so the guy can see it. And then at some point during this, he ceases to have a penis. Yep, his, his penis is removed. I, um, I distinctly remember her doing a certain twist. <laughs> yes, this scene is the reason that we watch this movie, and I'm not proud of saying that, but it's true. It's because when Allison Brie, this is the scene she mentions on the Darkest Timeline podcast. Like, I'm a movie where I have a demon baby and I rip some guy's dick off with my vagina. At which point I had the thought, yes, we should watch this movie. And, you know, more's the pity. So this is why we watched this movie. <laughs> this was the feature scene. Which is funny for this being why we watched the movie, because the scene that immediately follows this is my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, the dinner table? So, no, before that. So she kills Lars by ripping his dick off and she takes his heart out, just like she did for the trucker. And at this point, we're at the 40-minute mark of the movie. And at this point, we cut to footage of Kane Hodder in a desperate attempt to get out of the movie, sawing at his <laughs> wrist with a knife, <laughs> trying desperately to save himself. But alas, it's a prop knife, so it doesn't work. So the reason so, behind it, it is he's trying to find proof that he's becoming human. He's still yeah, in actuality, Asmodeus, yeah. Yeah, as she <laughs> progresses through this, Later on, he tells Dr. Samael, he says, the deal is this. Satan let me become human again if I knock up my sister, force her to kill six people during the pregnancy, and give birth to my demon kid. Supposedly, the kid then raises Cain on Earth and replaces me as Hell's Torturer when he dies. So, this is Asmodeus supposedly becoming more human again. In theory, he should become more human again the more people she kills. So, the whole thing is, Satan's going to let Asmodeus become human again if he forces his sister to give birth to a demon child. We need to talk about the fact that Satan is apparently a fantastic boss because <laughs> when when we first see Asmodeus, aside from the scene in the doctor's office, he's at the funeral for his mother, which means he gets bereavement time. All right. <laughs> then I love where this then is going. He, he's allowed extensive time off to be with his sister and to help impregnate her and, and help her with these murders, which means Satan abides by FMLA guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> and then the entire plan is so Asmodeus' son can become his replacement in hell, which means Satan has this elaborate training program <laughs> to backfill, which means he never has to outsource, he never has to bring in temps, he, he's got so is satan 
as a middle manager, Satan has his shit down, and you got to give credit where it's due. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's I, amazing. Yeah, so I yeah. hadn't thought of it in those terms, but yeah, look. He's oh my god! Credit where it's due. Quality boss. Asmodeus realizes he's not becoming more human, at least not yet. And now we get the scene Nick referred to, which is we've had Gollum scenes before of Alison Brie talking to herself, but now we get the first big money sequence of her sitting at a dinner table with the two hearts that she's taken, the truckers and Lars's, as she's cutting into them with a knife and a fork and suddenly realizes what she's doing and then has a tug of war between her and her CG baby. Which has the great line, <laughs> feed baby and baby be born. Yeah. Baby yeah. be born. The vessel is the window to the soul and daddy needs me to be born, mother. Think of it as prenatal care. Oh. And the line I she is the line the I like was, left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Alice and Bree just gives it her herself. all in this. She does. She gives it her all. She's going back and forth and then the, the baby wins and she's at the end of the table and she has to grab the tablecloth and pull the plate over to her by tugging on the tablecloth along with this enormous goblet which is filled with blood. Yep. And she does it without knocking the glass over. So I was really impressed. It was impressive. She, it's one yeah, take. It she well gets done. that thing over and just grabs this goblet of blood and starts chugging it. So again, she's being such a trooper in this piece of shit movie. Her <laughs> baby voice just took me out of the moment every time. It, it's Now eat the sacred heart. It, it would be one thing if it was demonic. It'd be one thing if it was just still her voice, but clearly with some like intonation changes or whatnot. But she does this like baby sing song thing. It's just like, ah, baby. <laughs> it reminded me of like the Black Christmas remake with the killer in it. It just like hurt my soul. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was hilarious oh, every it. time. Every time she was speaking as the demon, I just I, I found it genuinely goofy enough to be funny. And, he, no, and she, you can bad. see her. It was a conscious decision on her. Yes. Know, to, to go I guarantee the director had nothing to do with that. He's like, Agreed. and the, the baby talks. And she was like, I got this. And <laughs> Agreed. I <laughs> just no kept thinking about that through the entire movie. I got this. Because see, this, this is this... the confidence of a young actor. <laughs> Having an argument with a demon baby in her stomach where she has to do both voices. And I'd be surprised how much of it is actually in the script versus how much she's improvising. I don't know. I choose to assume that she's improvising. I just found it enjoyable every time. It's so goofy. I feel this is a great example of why movies need directors. Like actual directors who direct. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you got none of that in this film. None no. of it. <laughs> and look, look, I'm not saying that this is good. I just found it entertaining. And that's a quality that I had so much trouble finding in, in our last episode with the Stuart Gordon films, is finding ways to be entertained in the schlockiness. In this case, and it's probably just because I like Alison Brie a lot as an actress, that her over-the-top, I'm-going-to-give-it-my-all gumption to do these stupid fucking lines <laughs> was admirable to the point of being entertaining. And knowing it was her first movie, I don't want to say you could see the roots of anything she would become in this because she's become a very serious actress and also a great comedic actress. But you could see her effort and her willingness to do dumb shit. And a lot of what she had mm -hmm. to do in community was be willing to do dumb shit. Everybody did because it was some there was some of the same absurdist kind of humor that runs through that, that not runs through this, but where things aren't exactly taking place on planet Earth. And I just appreciated that. And again, not good, but I appreciated it. 
<laughs> You're on your own oh, there, Jake. Movie. <laughs> oh, this movie. So I think there, anybody who's seen this movie, listening to this podcast right now is like, God damn, man, you're really reaching there. <laughs> there was just value in what she was doing to my mind. Not most of what everybody else was doing, except the line producer. But we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so Mary Elizabeth, you know, eats the heart, drinks the blood. And from there, we cut to her and her friend out sunbathing on an overcast autumn day in the front yard shades of it uh, follows yes uh. um to which denise crosby comes out flips out on them both kicks the friend out of the house and so they decide for her last night in the house that she decides oh, go ahead nick it's worth mentioning that oh, so mary elizabeth borrowed lars mm-hmm. and so didn't mary get elizabeth, back exactly so mary elizabeth <laughs> is clearly having these periods of lost time. Like when the baby's taking over, that moment in time is completely erased from her brain when it's over, which is why she continues to lead a normal life after these incidents. So to her, she's just like, wait, where'd Lars go? And her roommate friend is just like, oh, he disappears sometimes. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, that's really fucking convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they also don't explain what happened to his body. Not at all! No! Nothing is explained in this Ugh. movie. No, nothing. And then, so the two of them, for her friends last night, decide to go out clubbing. Cuts to them in line for a dance club. The doorman at the club refuses to let a pregnant woman in, tells Mary Elizabeth she has to leave. She goes off running, and she's quite upset and feels, you know, this guy's insulted the way she looks, and she starts referring to says, I'm a monster, I'm a monster. And her friend says, oh no, you're not a monster. And then we get this really bizarre transition into a makeout session between the two of them in an alley. So they begin making out like you do out in an alley outside a dance club. Yeah, and not? the friend then gets down on her knees <laughs> and Mary Elizabeth rolls her shirt up. So her pregnant abdomen is now hanging out and has the line, kiss my baby, Jen. <laughs> and at which point you hear the demon start making noises and a CG hand busts out from her stomach, reaches in Jen's mouth, pulls her tongues out, and throws it at the camera. Now, am I the only one here, Eric, who had flashbacks to brain damage? I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Elmer! <laughs> Boy. I've never seen brain damage. You knew that, which is why you asked Eric that question. But I had a flashback to a different movie. Because one of the lines which she says in this, in her baby demon voice, is, Hello, friend. Uh, and yep. we've heard that before. Yes, and you can hear us talk about it in the Ouija episode. And it makes me <laughs> wonder if the people who made Ouija saw this movie and stole that. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> Somewhere Styles White was watching Bored and got to, Hello, friends. And went, That's it! And ran out of the room and typed furiously at a keyboard. It's worth noting. It like, oh, shit, if I write Hello, friend, they're going to sue me for plagiarism. Delete, 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 delete. Hi, friend. <laughs> <laughs> fucking nailed it! It's worth noting that it's clear they only had a budget for, like, one baby belly. Because for the course of, like, five months of her feasting on people periodically, it's the same, like, eight-month pregnant belly. <laughs> the well, the timeline time. shit is funny because she gains 15 pounds day one. She has the pregnant belly day two. And then just stays in that level of gestation period <laughs> for an indeterminate amount of time. Amount of time, yeah. 
Yeah, and God bless the makeup people. We know they were trying. The special features confirm that. They're doing the best they can what they got. Man, that belly is bad. <laughs> it also confirms her dad is the worst obstetrician. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty awful. About to get even worse for him. Lots of people are eight months pregnant for eight months. <laughs> so she kills her friend Jen. Kane Hodder now attempts to suicide his way out of the movie a second time by self-immolating. So he's trying to set himself on fire. And he's like, why can't I feel anything? And then we get the military priest showing up to clean up the scene. This is my my favorite scene in the movie, I think, maybe? Yeah, this is the scene they overtly reference in the behind the scenes as their example of dark humor in this movie, which is he happens upon a homeless man who's, I think he stumbled upon Mary Elizabeth's wallet or something she left behind, and says, you know, oh, don't worry, Father, I didn't see anything. And the priest breaks this homeless guy's neck and then immediately goes into a nom flashback. Not nom, but, but some For sort of black all of five seconds flashback. out of nowhere. It's, it's like, just what the hell is flashback. I loved it. It was so stupid. It's just like, oh, you know, him breaking somebody's neck. And it's clearly nom. It's clearly Vietnam. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. It's just, it's so out of nowhere and so bonkers. It was like, great. That it's, was oh, great. It's, it's so unnecessary. unnecessary. It's so it's ridiculously unnecessary. They've already established he's military. You don't need to see that he had a rough time in the military. <laughs> you spent 50 bucks on that scene, and it wasn't worth it, but you did it anyway, uh, and it was golden. Uh, in a previous conversation with the Cardinal, the Cardinal has the bit of exposition where he says, I know this task must be difficult for you, considering your conversion from the military to the church. Conversion? <laughs> Does that mean he's a lapsed lieutenant? <laughs> So at this point, now we get Mary Elizabeth. Her father is now using a ultrasound machine to scope out the baby. And this is where we, we really get the baby looking like the beast yeah, of crawl on an Amiga. This is the second time she's used the ultrasound machine. So the first time it looked like a normal baby with the dad in the room. This time she's using it again by herself. So only she gets to see. Oh, that's right. It's by herself. So only right, she gets right. to see the baby wig out and go full demonic face in the uh, 3D ultrasound machine. And also, nobody who's seen this movie knows what an ultrasound does or how it works, clearly. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, she's like, oh, oh, God, what the hell? Ah! And then it seems to, like, form, a, like, from the inside, a pentagram on the outside of her belly. Like, oh, my God! Yes! What the fuck? And then that settles down, and then she goes to church seeking help where she goes to dip her fingers in the holy water, and it immediately burns her and starts boiling. <laughs> I love how they explain that away, too. Yeah, it's oh, that was... So she, dumb! <laughs> she's, she's sharing all these concerns with the lapsed lieutenant priest who gives these bullshit answers, and when she gets to, I put my fingers in the holy water, and it scalded me, and he says... And he actually kind of stammers at the start. Our cleaning lady pours scalding hot water in the holy water basins at the end of each night. Oh my god. It makes no sense. So yeah, so she's she's going to him for help and he just starts kind of like he's tempted to shoot her right there. He's got the gun. He's like, oh, I should just do this. And, you know, but he doesn't. And he ends up rationalizing the whole thing to her to try to keep her on track. And then she proceeds to vomit and leave. She vomits and leaves. We cut back to the psychiatrist's office. Uh. So at this point, as Modius is wrapping up his session. Gets belligerent with the doctor who pulls the gun on him and the gun that he gave her when he first showed up. Fires into his chest. Nothing happens. And he has a line, I told you, Dr. Samael, I'm a demon. And you can't kill demons with bullets, you stupid bitch. And then he bites her neck. He rips her, rips her neck out with his teeth. Yeah. So essentially, 
killing the exposition portion of this movie, and it's only half fucking done. Yeah, this this was the moment where I I probably said in chat, "It's like, wait, how are there forty minutes left?" Oh my god! But what was the point of the framing device? Like, it served almost no purpose. It was like we need we need some initial exposition, but we don't need it in the back half. So you know what? We'll just kill her halfway through and move on their lives. It's like why? Why did he give her the gun? Like knowing it wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, no, there there is a reason for that. It's explained at the end. It's the same reason why. Well, I won't ruin it yet. Remember this moment. We'll come back to it. Yeah, th- there is a elements of this that tie into the end. Yes. So I must have skipped the track because to- man, I couldn't figure that <laughs> shit out. It's not uh, it's not directly referenced, but it's the only thing that makes sense. It's still stupid. Uh, we get Mary Elizabeth back home. She's raiding the fridge. The demon is overcome her again. Her father walks in, and now we get our next hello, which is, Hello, Grandpa! Or should I say, Stuttering Supper! And if we didn't mention earlier, one of the father's traits is he has a stutter. Mary Elizabeth is trying to vie for control and keep the demon baby from killing her father, at which point he picks up his oxygen tank. Oh my god. And is standing over top, and she's trying to encourage her father to hit her in the stomach with his oxygen tank. And the last lieutenant is listening in from his surveillance Winnebago. And I laugh so hard because he's just sitting there and he's cheering. Hit it! Fucking hit it, Albert! Hit that motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) And he he says, I can't do it! And then he gets stabbed in the leg when the demon gets control again, drops it, and we get a close-up of his oxygen tank bouncing off her stomach. (laughs) It's the funniest shit! It almost redeems the movie! (laughs) (laughs) Then he says, all right, we're going to take care of this baby problem. We need anesthesia. And he gives her a bottle of wine when she starts chugging. He's like, we're going to operate and fix this. He's getting ready to abort the child. In the most interesting of fashions. I've seen people, you know, do small incisions and work from there. And I've seen people try interscopic approaches. I've never seen someone just like carve the top of your belly open like a (laughs) jack-o'-lantern and open it up. He cuts a flap in her stomach, (laughs) flips it open, and the CG demon baby is in there looking up through the hole. (laughs) (laughs) Just just screaming at him. And did anyone catch what the backdrop was inside her stomach? The surroundings for the demon baby? No. It's... It looked like a red pumpkin. (laughs) It's footage of writhing earthworms painted red they just ran a red filter over earthworms Uh, writhing around which means one of two things either they wanted something creepy for where this you know demon is incubating or it's fuck what does a womb look like (laughs) (laughs) everything else fuck it fuck it fuck it i got earthworms up yeah that'll that'll be good just paint it red (laughs) it'll be fine everything else in this film tells me it's option b The father is now trying to abort the demon child. The sister intervenes. Which has woken up just before he's able to do so. Yep. We get our our third twin sighting. One of them knows Kirk Fu, apparently, and chops him. And then <sighs> random, or, random blondes again. I think they're naked this time. Yep. Somewhere in this area, the Cardinal shows up, right? Not yet, Not but yet. yes. Okay. Uh, he shows up in a video call to the lapsed lieutenant. There's some some scene in this area, like around this part of the movie, where they, they left in a cut where he forgets a line. I thought it was like right around... Anyway, it doesn't matter. You see his face in a call with the priest at one point. Okay. Um, so it might be there instead of when he actually shows up at the ending. Yeah. Uh, so Denise Crosby rests a scalpel away, stabs her father in the neck. Because big reveal! 
She's in on it. So the father is now reeling with a scalpel in his neck. And now we see reveal two. The Ivan, the gardener, is in the room. <sighs> and he's in on it. And he says, sorry, Albert. And punches Albert, the father, in the gut. Which is a dick move because if it's like he seemed to genuinely like him, but he just punches this old man in the gut. It's like at least kill him faster by oh, like driving God. another knife in or something. And instead, he just gut punches this guy. <laughs> so now he's dying and out of breath. Then the baby, the yeah. Indian baby, screeches and then it grabs <laughs> the flap like it's the front door and kind of makes this growly noise like get off my lawn and slams the door <laughs> shut. <laughs> It reenacts the scene from Princess Bride as, why don't you get me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? We're closed! And pulls the flap shut, which instantly heals over. And it's, it's, it's worth it for that effect shot. So now we... The we priest enters the building. Priest enters the building. I'm sorry, it's the priest who gets Kirk food by, yes. the, uh, by the twins. Yes. Sorry. Priest gets Kirk food by the twins, is knocked out. At this point, I have the note, how are there 30 minutes left? <laughs> so... We're now in the attic, and the priest is now in a cage lined with knives. The twins are naked for some fucking reason. This upset me very much, <laughs> because he wakes up in this damn cage, kind of hanging by his hands, and he's like, oh, what what the hell's going on? They're like, you've been in a coma this whole time. And the problem is, the baby <laughs> eats once every month. There's about a month of time between each feeding. And when I think he, they even say that at one point. Yes, they do. And so when he wakes up, it's feeding time again. So he has been hanging in a cage by his arms in a coma for a month. A goddamn <laughs> month. And then I'm skipping ahead real quick because after she feeds, guess what? He gets to hang awake now. For a whole other goddamn month in this cage! I don't... It's... Uh, no. They make no reference to him, like, feeding or drinking or trying to keep him alive or dealing with the fact that every goddamn muscle in his body would have atrophied in this time. I mean, it's just... Uh, oh my. I have... I have such an embarrassment of riches oh. in terms of what I can use as an audio clip for the stinger at the end of this episode. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I was so angry. I was just like, no, no, got no, no, just no. My notes here. Priest hung up. Mary makes pentagram. Priest in a coma for a month. Ha 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 ha. See, I, I think I have I a was... lot of ah ha ha's in this part of my notes as well. I was I was closer to to the actual writer on this because I had forgotten about the month period by this point in the movie. And clearly so did they. So, <laughs> so this didn't bother me at all. So yeah, this is the moment though when the cardinal does show up. Yes. And reveals himself to actually be Asmodeus the demon. And the priest is like, wait, if you don't need me, what why did you do all this? He goes, I'm a torturer from the thirteenth level of hell. I fuck with people. It's what I do. <laughs> I was like, yep. what the hell? Which brings us back to him giving the psychiatrist the gun that isn't gonna work on against him because he fucks with he people. Fucks with people. That's, That's what, what he does. He does. <laughs> That's it's, giving it too much credit that that's a uh, callback to well, <laughs> Anything said positive about this movie is giving it too much credit. <laughs> this, this has got to be, I, I should have written better notes credit. about it because there's a scene where he clearly forgets a line and stumbles over yeah. it and everybody just keeps going and all I can think is, yeah, they only had time to do one take. All right. <laughs> so the Cardinal shows up 
Now everyone's basically in place at the house. Ivan is then consoling Mary Elizabeth, who's in despair over losing her father and the awful situation that she's in. And Ivan has the lines where he says, You feel lucky. It's a great honor to be the host. That's why your sister's jealous. You know that, right? That day she gave you the ass whooping in the tub. <laughs> she knew you were the chosen one because she'd been a virgin her whole life. But he didn't pick her. He picked you. For whatever reason, the bit where he says that day she gave you that ass whipping in the tub, I laugh so fucking hard every time I get to that he still says that day she gave you that ass whipping. <laughs> and at this point, after spurned on by this speech, she confronts her sister in the delicatessen bathroom. Her sister is now taking a bath. The demon rests control, which as signified by the line, Hello, sister. Yep. And begins threatening her sister, and her sister is essentially begging for her life, and it points where it's due for Alison Bree. She summons tears in this sequence. So she cries, so it's like, all right, not for this movie, but I'm glad you were able to, I'm sorry it was this movie, but the demon says that she wants Denise Crosby's character to become her dolly. And we get actually unnerving, it's pretty gross. conceptually sequence where she flips Denise Crosby over and begins scrubbing her back with a hard bristled brush until her flesh gives away. Yep. All the while shouting, scrub a dub dub, clean dolly in the tub! Uh. <laughs> until this kills Denise Crosby. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, it's gross and, and just bad shit. And then we cut to another favorite bit, because then we cut to lethargic, demon-possessed Alison Brie in bed, clicking through channels. And the first one is nude women boxing. No, no. Greased, naked women boxing. <laughs> women boxing. <laughs> I'll admit, I, re I rewound it at that point because I didn't like, quite what believe. What the hell did I just say? I saw yeah, right? what I saw there. I was like, what the hell? Like, Hold up. Wait a minute. What? And she's looking worse for wear at this point. Her eyes are all fucked up. Yeah. So dissatisfied with her entertainment selection, she destroys the television. Walks into the priest who's still in the cage and says, I'm bored. Talk to me. It's and, been two months. He has no beard. <laughs> he has no mustache. His hair isn't any longer. He's not fucking dead like he should be. Because the Cardinal's <laughs> fucking with him. We can just explain <laughs> that for everything now. It's what he does. <laughs> That's different. Um, no. 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 Moving on. Go. Keep going, please. The father. <laughs> so the lapsed lieutenant convinces the demon to let Mary Elizabeth take control for a bit because his excuse is well you know i can't do anything to defeat you but whatever i do is going to be more entertaining than anything else you're doing and she has lunch crushing your spirit that's better than white trash week on talk tv and lets mary elizabeth take control for a bit and the priest talks to her for a bit and goes nowhere she leaves and the priest then coaxes ivan over and begins a torrent of homophobic statements on Ivan, to which Ivan bristles at. It was very uncomfortable. I was just like, this is not necessary. <laughs> this is Yeah, it's awful. decidedly uncomfortable to watch. And it's like, oh, this dialogue is, is awful. And, oh. But the point of it is he's trying to drive Ivan into a rage. She does. Yep, which he does. Ivan then uses a taser to electrocute the priest's genitalia until he dies. Yep. The end game for the priest being that he kills himself before his life can be taken by Mary Elizabeth as one of the sacrifices. Because the last one has to be a murderer. Yeah, it's worth noting yes. that this is the first time they kind of address the fact that each of these people have roles. 
<laughs> it's like the first murder had to be a stranger. And then it was, I'm trying to get this out of order. Then the lover, then the friend, the father, the sister, the murderer. Like these are specific roles that have to be fit. And because yep. the priest had murdered someone, whether you wanted to be back in his military days or the homeless guy, pick or choose, you know, he was the designated sacrifice, but now he's dead. But luckily, but he didn't think it through. Didn't think it through. His plan, by virtue of its concept, turned Ivan into a murderer, making him a so, prime replacement. Also, so, his yep, plan so was Mary... to get tased to death by his dick. So, <laughs> <laughs> just saying, it would have been was... easier to just lean over and bang your head on one of those spikes that are right next to your head. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Except he's got two months of uh, muscle atrophy, but let's not talk about that. Oh, <laughs> so Mary Elizabeth is briefly dismayed by the priest dying until she realizes Ivan now meets the requirements, flings him out, out the window, the, out the window onto the front lawn, to which she is suddenly outside, standing over top of him, and then her water breaks. This like and green. It was like green this, fluid. It was like the secret out. of the ooze from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yes. episode. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Expected him to like turn into Rocksteady. <laughs> go baby, go baby, go, go baby, go baby, go. So that that's specifically addressed in the making of early, yeah, where they're they're talking about it. They're going over the script, and she points out inconsistencies when we saw it before it wasn't like this one of the makeup folks yeah and then how do you want to explain this and he goes it's a horror movie <laughs> that's it. Said, if it's green now why would it be red later because <laughs> it's a horror movie yeah he completely blew it the fuck off he's like screw it and it explained everything to me yeah it's the entire <laughs> momentum behind the film uh, we're just doing shit you know what it's a horror movie eric eric you know what this has taught me you know what we need to do we need to introduce jake to extra <laughs> the other the high water mark for dvd extras <laughs> by far the best there's three of them ever. we could do a franchise episode on that oh, I hadn't thought yes. of that. extra was is good fodder for an episode that movie's nuts it is ridiculous it's, it's, it is it's, so it's, bad you just said the best dvd extra and i don't know about that because that always is going to be um adventureland it's a uh, it's a tie between adventureland and the firefly movie whose name just flew out of my head Serenity. Serenity. With Dirt Nap no, Baby Jesus. <laughs> Find a kid who's saying the Dirt Nap Baby Jesus. We're going we to put, we're gonna put Shepard on the hood because he's our friend and we should honor him. Then get Dirt <laughs> Nap Baby Jesus. <laughs> Which is the, that and the, the, the ball tapping Adventureland outtakes are the two funniest things uh, I've ever laughed at in outtakes. Uh, all right. Extra might not be that great, but extra is pretty good, mainly because of an edit they do when the director's talking about it. And now they juxtapose what he's saying with a particular image, which is hysterical. All right. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that before. Extra was great material. I haven't seen the other two, but Same. the first one, it would it'd be great to talk about because that movie's nutty. And, and, special and features make it actually. all worth it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. All right. We got to fix that. So back so, to this one, this piece of yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> so... Now the water's broken, so now they take Mary Elizabeth upstairs, and they take the head of Ivan. They arrange them as points on a pentagram. The gratuitous uh, blondes are back. They're yep, literally the just naked, kneeling there. The naked twins are there, just standing around. Mary Elizabeth begins to give birth, and the severed heads start talking to her. Some Which cheering her on, some telling her to fight. Yeah, because it's a Mary like, Elizabeth, you've got this. It's hilarious <laughs> because they're not possessed... 
They are literally the souls of the people who who they belong to. So they they each have their own opinions of the matter. Like you know, fight it, fight it, don't do it. And then yeah, and then Ivan's like, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the trucker's like, why the fuck am I here? <laughs> <laughs> And also, I guess you could see something went awry with James Callahan in that sequence, because when he starts talking, all of a sudden they do this CG warp effect around the base of his head. So I mu you must have been able to see his shoulders or something like he came up too far from the floorboards. I'm not sure what it was, but it's this really glaring, bad CG effect they put in. So she's giving birth and there's a line I couldn't quite make out. I had to turn on the DVD doesn't have English subtitles. It has Spanish subtitles. <laughs> that I could then rant or translate because she's saying something as she's giving birth, and the line is quick silk satin. Where the fuck are my swaddling materials? And then <laughs> I, I caught the line about where are my swaddling materials. I missed the uh, beginning of that. It's silk satin. Where the fuck are my swaddling materials? And then, well, the baby is born. No, no, no. Well, there's a moment where she actually hears her mother. Her mom, yes. this is like in a classic horror film situation, it's the it's the the good spirit, the one that loves you, that is from the other side of the coin, who's come to put in their strength and effort into the moment and give you that extra push you need to like overcome your problems. And like Ouija. Like, like Ouija. <laughs> but in this one, it's like, nope, be gone, woman. And then it's, it's it. That she's gone. <laughs> Nothing comes of this whatsoever. I'm like, why? Good God. So yeah, the oh. blondes hold her up. She has a very long labor. <laughs> like excessively long for the film, which is already too long. Well, to be they fair, she'd been she... eight months pregnant for eight months, so... <laughs> and then they insert, like, actual baby footage of, like, a baby breaching. Yeah. I'm like, oh. what the hell is this? Yeah, there's a baby in the credits. <laughs> Why? Oh my God. And Why? There's also a shot of Asmodeus holding the child. And I really just wanted him to show, now get to work at the <laughs> instantly, <laughs> since that was the whole end game. See, so yeah, like, Asmodeus has the baby, cuts the cord, slaps Mary down, gives the baby to the blondes, and then Dr. Samael walks in. Uh, what so the Severance hell? reappears, and Asmodeus says, what the hell are you doing here? And we find out that she is actually his boss. She's Could it be Satan? 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 Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Or as she puts it, I am the venom of God. Is yeah. the line she has. Which may be Joan Severance's actual title. <laughs> <laughs> See, every time I think of her, I think of uh, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Uh, for me, it's Black Scorpion, but yeah. Oh, nice. So as Asmodeus finds out, it's all been a ruse. This whole pretense of giving birth to a replacement actually had some other fucking purpose for <laughs> Satan. Really very quick Presumably side a note. Vessel, but... Back to Joan Severance. When I was talking to Jen about this movie, I mentioned it's so weird that it's so bad because it has real people in it. And she looked at me in deadpan. All movies have real people in them. That's <laughs> 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 so you take her a copy of Earth and go, bullshit. <laughs> Got nothing but penguins and flamingos in here. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And I only bring that up because I was fascinated by Joan Severance actually being in this movie. <laughs> but no, it, it, the impression I got from the ending was he's like, but I did everything you asked me to do. And she's like, yeah, but you doubted me. You, you doubted me. You talked to a psychiatrist about this situation. You're like, you like, you had doubts. So you know what? Fuck you. Deals off. Sends him back to work and he dissolves essentially in a puddle of blood. He yep. just starts bleeding 
and then there's an edit and he's not there anymore so she sends him back to the 13th level of hell and then she walks out with the child and mary elizabeth is left behind this is the only one left alive yeah she's the only one left alive and now that fades to black and fades up from black it's an indeterminate amount of time later and she's speaking with the other priest from earlier in the movie who's played by alex dilemma the writer and who's giving her a blessing and saying are you ready to go find your child and save your child to which she nods with kind of a creepy look in her eyes and you see a cg fly land on her upper lip towards her nose which is a callback to earlier in the film the same thing happens in the early days of her pregnancy and then it cuts to black and at this point in my notes i just have in all caps in bold oh come on Please give me born to born again. (laughs) (laughs) See, okay. So there was once this supercut I saw of various movies, clips taken from them. The guy's feeling was that every movie at some point tells you it's very self-referential. It knows what it's doing. And there was that one awful movie. uh, Was it like John Carver or something? From Mars, or the Red Planet. You know what I'm talking about? John Carter. John Carter. John Carter. Yeah, just John Carter. There's some John Carter. And, I didn't and think that clip. was awful. Well, no, John Carter wasn't bad. That movie gets a bad rap. Well, I haven't watched it yet. So all I know was what I had heard that the great wow, way to cast good. aspersions. No, 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 no. But my point is that in, in the uh, in the supercut, for it, it was this guy who goes, come forward and goes, who did this? Who is responsible? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and throughout the entire time I'm watching this film, that just kept playing in my head. Who did this? Who is responsible? <laughs> Nick came into this podcast. We have video going as we record this. And he should have just kicked open the door to the room and just walked in, held up the copy of Born, and just start talking like Pinhead at the end of it. I want the man. <laughs> Who did this? <laughs> that that is my feelings on this entire endeavor. <laughs> and and that's born. Oh god. I so I've got another quote from Alison Brie on this. It's from a movie phone interview. And she's talking about this and it to me to some some way it kind of sums up my opinion and her opinion of the film, which is i never really been casting couched or anything like that. I can remember an early audition for a movie that I booked called Born. A B-horror movie would be the best way to describe it. In which, in the audition, I was playing a young woman in a fight with a demon fetus inside her body that's possessing her. And that was a pretty wild audition. Then I had to do it again in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that sums up because really everything I liked about this movie revolved around Alison Brie or a really funny Vietnam flashback. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. And that's the sound clip you need. <laughs> <laughs> I just I appreciated what she tried to do and I kind of appreciated to a degree the seriousness with which everybody sort of took this. I think if they had taken it less seriously it would have been a better movie. But the people involved in this and watching the special features kind of confirmed it is that they weren't indifferent. They just weren't necessarily good at their jobs yet. No. Or they they hadn't had the the right experience in making a B kind of horror movie and it just went off the rails and never got on the rails and then stopped being a train and became a wheelbarrow and then went off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's they didn't understand the roles. Like, the director's like, I know what my job is. I'm the director. I say when things start and when it ends. 
and then I'm done. <laughs> he thought that was the entirety of his job, and so that's all he did. Scene is over. Next scene. <laughs> it's tricky to tell because I mean, there's people in it who have just long filmographies. Yes. Um, well, I really want to see John Severance now, does that's particularly offensive in the film. No, even outside the, just like the direct. But her entire role is pointless. Well, yeah, her role is pointless, but she's fine yeah. in what she does. She doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and, you know, there's no reason for her to give a shit. And somehow she's in this. <laughs> the director was doing movies back to the 80s. Like the stunt coordinator has done, you know, a bunch of films. The makeup folks have, have done makeup on a lot of stuff. So it's weird because, yeah, there's such a history there. I think of it, it's kind of like indie comic, where you have a creator that, say, has worked at Marvel for a long time and then goes and does their own thing. And right at the gate, their own thing maybe not so great because suddenly they don't have any adult supervision. It's all on them. And there's nobody else necessarily saying, this is not what you want to do here. There's, there's nobody to boundary them in and keep them on track. Right. right. And it's possible that's what happened here. We just didn't have the right supervisor. Could be. It's the, <laughs> we'll say that the special features on the DVD are certainly worth watching just for the interviews with the line producer. Um, oh, she's great. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a hoot. Did you get a chance um, to watch I, these, Nick? I did. I just love because you find out about her divorce. Yep. And what a line producer does. And then they show yep. highlights of her time on the set. Yeah, she spent like 15 years doing like softcore pornography. And she's yeah, as a, line she has a really extensive as a line producer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she has a really extensive IMDb page with a whole bunch of different roles. And, and now it looks like she's getting into directing if the oh, there's a lot of stuff that's listed in pre-production. So if it's current, but she also has well, just one bit that's been stuck in my head, which is there's a scene where her and the director are talking to. They have some makeup dilemma, and the makeup guy is like, I'll just put a blood pack in his hand. It's fine. You know, just quick solution to it. And she has the line, that's why you get the big nickel. And that's been <laughs> in my head ever since. That's why you get the big nickel. You know, I'm not surprised she's going to direct it. Because, you know, if I set, sit through all that and see how that, you know, these motherfuckers can make money off this shit. I can do this. <laughs> I like You spend a lot of time with the location manager, too. And the location manager is very, very convinced of the importance of the location manager. And I really <laughs> enjoyed the making of feature because you it's most making of features is the director talking about whatever. They're fluffy extras. This one is a real thing. Where here's what random people do on a movie set. You learn, you know, offline editor, online editor. You find out that there's a huge stereotype that all makeup artists are gay. And yep. the one on this that guy. is very upset about that stereotype. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's very frenetically put together. There's a vague sense of structure to it, kind of, but it's yeah. really just this series of clips strung together. It's also worth it for the footage of Alison Brie filming the sequence early on when she's getting caught up in the wind and she gets pulled into the ground. There's footage of her doing that because the degree of wind they were blowing on her. Like when you see the movie, you think they must have sped the frame rate up, but then you see the behind the scenes footage. No, it's ludicrous the amount of wind that's blowing on her <laughs> this massive <And> fan <laughs> as she kind of has to force her way in reverse to like back her way into this hole in the set it's, it's pretty funny to watch and, but I'll, I'll say this in the special features it's clear that everybody cared and it's interesting because the the end result you know we just spent a while clowning because it's not good i mean it's just not real talk this is not a good film like Alison Brie responded to a tweet at one point. Like somebody says, 
tweeted at her, hey, you know, I've never heard you were in this horror film. Should I see it? She just responds, nope. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she's right. You shouldn't see it. There's no reason to see. I mean, you know, I'm, I wouldn't call myself an Allison Brie completist, but as a community obsessive and super fan, it's why we're where we are. But no, it's it's not worth it. I enjoyed it more than clearly more than Nick. Oh, um, yeah. th- this makes me want to make you watch Hey, Stop Stabbing Me. <laughs> All right. So this is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but I'm going to say something. To my mind, there wasn't a world of difference between the stuff that was bad in this and the stuff that I found bad in Castle Freak. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. <laughs> oh, Please join us. God. <laughs> Just hammering the stop record button. Click, 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 click. I don't want to insult. I'd like to promise the. I'd like to promise the studio audience at home that you know, whenever we show up at cons again, we will keep Jake in his own segregated section of the table, (laughs) so you can have free reign to throw whatever you want at him and save us. I'm not not saying they're necessarily comparable, but they're not. I mean, miles apart in my book, they're B horror movies that are meant to be horror movies that are supposed to have. Well, I guess Castle Freak doesn't really have a lot of humor. I just found it bad. And this was bad. And it was bad for a lot of the same reasons, you know, logical inconsistencies, things that don't make sense, characters that don't make sense, actions that that are just, it felt very, let's just fucking do it. It was shot too fast. They didn't have enough budget for what they wanted to do. Now, I realize that that's heresy. And I'm not saying they're the same movie or the same. It's just part of the reason that I didn't like Castle Freak was the same that it reasons that I didn't like this. And you know, I, I feel that I don't mean to single out Castle Freak, but no, I'll give no, the other no. ones the, a little thing, bit more credit. The things that you're saying, there were the more same, things I, I liked in Dagon or from beyond than in either of the movies. Castle like, Freak like, was just the worst of the ones we watched last time. For example, like I feel that with like Gordon, he had these great ideas that he did not properly convey on the screen. Whereas for this movie, they're like, well, how do we explain this? And they're like, you don't. It's a horror film. Just fucking shoot it. <laughs> yeah, I just felt like there was a lot of that in Castle Freak, too. It's like, well, this doesn't make sense. Who cares? Keep going. And I don't know. And again, I'm not comparing the movie, just comparing the viewing experience for somebody like me who doesn't particularly like be schlocky kind of horror. Oh, no, we, we are taking you down a path you were not ready for. <laughs> I'm just I'm never gonna like any nope stuff. nope I mean I can talk myself into aspects of them I mean I didn't hate everything in the the Stuart Gordon episode I didn't hate everything in the uh, Night Angel episode there was stuff I liked in all of these movies but mostly because I'm trying to find things to like <laughs> if we weren't shooting this podcast I would have watched exactly four minutes of Born. you know <laughs> not the opening titles and just nope yeah the opening title would have stopped me i'd be like nope i'm out well no because i still would have watched it for hours it's not too late to get an amazon instant refund but castle freak i wouldn't have even picked up off the shelf so (laughs) i just i still find it weird that that a movie like born has actors and actresses in it that we very much recognize yes because it's not a film company that we know it's not funded by whoever it is that funds uve bowl films it's just this random thing and it so it makes me think that there are probably friends with some of them or again i talked about somebody owed somebody a favor somebody lost at poker and said here's your two weeks i don't think the movie is a total loss because again the alice and brie connection it makes it at least a novelty and that's probably the best i've got 
from it. It's sad that it was uh, Callahan's last movie. Very. I guess it's weird that it's Kane Hodder's first speaking role. Is that true? No. Oh, okay. No, it might be his most lengthy, but I doubt it. But no, he had like speaking roles with a couple lines here and there and a few things. Like I said, I'm floored that this was ended up being Kane Hodder's first appearance on our podcast. It was like, aside from Friday, it was like Wishmaster. Surely it'll be Wishmaster will be <laughs> something, anything. Hatchet, anything. But nope. Born is Kane Hodder's inaugural introduction to the scary stuff podcast. Uh, and it's probably sad that this is likely to be Allison Bree's only appearance on the podcast. Yeah, from what I've seen, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens from here. And I'll, I'll admit, after watching this movie, there was a part of me that sat down and thought that I would just come on here, and while you guys were talking about the movie, I would interject with talking about nothing but the scary Halloween episodes of Community. And just talk about those and never even acknowledge <laughs> that Born exists. <laughs> You'd be like, and this is the scene where Asmodeus, you know, tried to cut his wrists with a blunt knife. And I'd be like, yeah. And when Pierce locked himself in the escape room, it was really kind of interesting and in how they worked that out and had the special effects in, in this episode and just never acknowledge Bourne. You, you know what? I, I, I think you've summed up this episode perfectly, because if there's anything to take away from this episode, it's that you should watch Community. <laughs> not <Yes. born. laughs> at least listen to the darkest timeline podcast because ken jong and, and joel McHale are, are doing a great job with it and as a veteran of podcasts now i can say that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and i'm certainly going to tag the hell out of him on twitter please definitely but yeah, yeah so that's and that's really what happened is we ended up watching this horrible movie it was my fault <laughs> I feel like that's some small revenge for all of the movies I've hated that I had to sit through for this and that I will hate and sit through in the future. I'm so looking forward to episode 13. Because probably <laughs> the, the only revenge I've gotten Doom is coming. Was making Doom watch, is coming. Like, really, if you think about it, the, the only other revenge I've gotten in this is that I made Nick watch three, two good movies and one bad one. The marked ones. Maybe it was just two. Was it just marked ones? Because you had seen... I've not seen Ghost Dimension. You've not seen Ghost Dimension to Mark one. I guess you had seen four, four was the problem. All right, so two movies. One bad yeah, one. Yeah, one good four one. was it, yeah. Four made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> so you're with, with four, you're just cutting off the Bourne franchise here. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> if any more existed, it would not be watched. <laughs> I, would, I, will, I would a I thousand will. percent watch a sequel made by Alison Brie today. I will start the Kickstarter for Born to Born Again tomorrow. <laughs> we don't need much. The, the journey to hunt this baby. And that's our first Jakey snack. So We're going to need a bigger uterus. <laughs> oh, am I going to make you fuckers watch Brave Encounters again twice? Yeah, I gotta. I have to assume the next Jakey snack is going to be found footage, but oh yes, we'll, we'll oh find, yes, and we'll find that when we get to the next big fill in the next gap in Jake's horror catalog, you know, Exorcist or something like that. We'll, Ooh, that'll be the next be good. Jakey snack. Oh, I'm already gonna. I'm already gonna have to think of what awful dumbass found footage movie I've watched that I want to make you guys watch, or a good one, because nobody watches the ones I like either. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be damned if I if I go down as the only one who's seen Blood Pass. I, I, I could die a happy man knowing you're the only person who's seen Blood Pass. And what sucks about that is you will enjoy this film. That's, that's the 
that's the hard part about this is I'm getting revenge for you guys making me my bad films by making you guys watch movies I like. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. You fail at revenge. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that's Born. Hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. So we'll be back here in a few weeks with episode seven. Episode seven's about good to... movies. Sort of. It will be a b- Promise. Will be better, better movies. Definitely better movies. No, there's actual good no. movies. Just not all of them. I know. Just not all of them. So this is Eric signing off. This is Jake. This is, Nick, right? this is Nick saying, if nothing else, please don't watch this movie. Love you all. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even get through the outro without arguing. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. See ya. Night. No! <laughs>